Good morning, Four Oaks Church. It's Pastor Paul. It's Thursday morning, August 25th, 2022, as I sink into my chair. Um, I think this is God's sign to me. It's time to lose a few of those summer pounds. Anyway, we are back here for Romans Rewind, taking a, some minutes to unpack a portion of God's Word. And right now we are in Romans chapter 11, running concurrently with our series in the book of Romans. Now, as you know, if you've been um, with us along the way, that one of the themes or really the, the rock solid cornerstone that Paul bases his supreme confidence in uh, when it comes to spiritual matters is the providence of God, the sovereignty of, of God. And we have talked a lot about this, right? Um, and one of the things that I want to focus in on here today is sort of the pastoral function of having a rock solid view of God's sovereignty and of um, his supreme authority and the fact that he is in control of everything. It's so easy sometimes uh, to become academic in these things or um, and nothing wrong with academics, but to be more driven by, shall we say, a desire to figure it all out and to cross our, uh, cross our T's, dot our I's, to, to fit everything into a coherent, logical system. And we forget that Paul doesn't just decide sort of out of thin air to talk about the sovereignty of God. He has a very pastoral purpose in it. And I want us to look at one of the illustrations Paul uses in Romans 11 this morning to talk about that in the life of Elijah. So let's go back to Romans chapter 11, verse 2, and let me read for us. Paul says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So here, Paul is quoting a very familiar Old Testament story from 1 Kings 18 and 19. If, if you have your Bible, flip over to 1 Kings 18 and 19. The first part of this story you're undoubtedly very familiar with. We preached on it this summer. It's where Yahweh and Elijah go up against Baal and the 400 prophets of Baal, and God reigns victorious, wipes them out, and this sets an expectation on the part of Elijah that this is the time God is going to reign in Israel. He's going to set up, uh, he's going to institute religious reform. Ahab and Jezebel are going to repent. Uh, the people of Israel are going to follow suit, but as we know, this is not how it works out. Jezebel ends up threatening um, Elijah's life and Elijah goes on the run. And so let's pick this up in Elijah, I'm sorry, First uh, Kings chapter 19. Um, and let's see what happens. Now, verse 19, A, verse one of chapter 19, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his 
servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree, and he asked that it that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Now, Elijah here is not, I think, acting out of naked fear. He's already gone up against the prophets of Baal. He was already far outnumbered, and God saved and protected him. I think what sends Elijah into the wilderness is despondency, is discouragement. Once he hears that Jezebel has not turned her heart to God in Ahab, he is despondent and despairing and runs into the wilderness. And a lot of times we can identify with that, right? There's time seasons of despondency for us where things have not turned out the way we thought God had promised that they would. And we wonder about God's faithfulness. And so it's at Elijah's lowest point then that God appears to Elijah and predicts something or comforts him with some words and points him towards the future. And let's look at what God says. Verse 18, this is to Elijah. Remember, God appears to Elijah and he gives him a word. And he says this, verse 18, chapter 19, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. It's at this supreme moment of his lowest point of despair that God speaks his assuring word to Elijah about his providence. And he simply says this, Elijah, I'm doing more than you could ever hope to think or imagine. I am preserving a remnant. I am preserving a people. You think you're alone. You think that everyone's abandoning you. You think you're the only one standing for truth. But I'm here to tell you, Elijah, I am working. I am raising up my people. Interestingly, that's the last word in the story. Now, what are we to learn from this? I think what we want to learn is that God displays aspects of his character to us, whether it's his love, his truth, his justice, his wrath, his mercy, his grace, his sovereignty, because that's what our soul needs. That's what we desperately need to cling to. It's the only thing we cling, can cling to. It is the character and the person of God. And what Elijah needs to hear most at this moment of deep despair is God's revelation of himself as the faithful God, as the sovereign God, who is faithful to raise up a people even though Elijah cannot see it. So what do we take from this? What we take from this, Christian, is to never make theology merely academic, merely um, research, merely intellectual study. Now, research, study, academics are all very important. They're all an aspect of coming to know God. But we never come to know God just to know God, right? We come to know God because of who he's revealed himself in a personal way to us. Lots of people, right? On the day of judgment, Jesus said, will say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not this? Did I not that? Did I not go to church? Did I not learn? Did I not study? And he's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. The question is, does your theology bring you closer to knowing God? Does it bring you 
closer intellectually, personally, spiritually, experientially. That's, that's the true test of our theology. And so one of my encouragements for you in this season, as we are going through heady, deep theological waters in Romans 11, is that you will never separate this from the crucible of your own life. As you're reading these scriptures, don't just say, God, I want to know the truth for the sake of the truth. Lord, I want to know the truth for the sake of my soul and for the sake of knowing you and walking with you. All right, that's our little tidbit, our little ditty, our little lesson for the day. We'll be back now tomorrow uh, for our final devotional of the week. We hope you'll be there. Let's pray. Lord, we pray now that you would work your word, your theology of who you are into the depths of our soul. I pray, Father, you would not let our hearts grow um, hardened or, or distant or obtuse from who you are. But in fact, they would take us deeper into your character. Lord, we ask these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us. We will be back here tomorrow.